Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. ESPN Missoula Sports Center. The Montana State Bobcats made history in the long story rivalry against the Montana Grizzlies. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanez. For the first time in the history of the Cat-Grizz rivalry, Montana State swept Montana in football, women's basketball, and men's basketball. That sweep was made possible by MSU's hoop sweep on the hardwood over the weekend. On Saturday in Bozeman, Montana State's women's basketball team survived a flurry of three-pointers by Montana's Haley Heward and Matt Koenig to emerge with a 75-73 victory. Cole Badbear scored 23 points and MSU rolled up. 44 points in the paint on the way to defeating the Lady Grizz for the 12th time in the last 14 outings. Bad Bear and fellow seniors Darian White and Madison Jackson end their careers 7-1 against the Lady Grizz. Although Montana State has swept Montana in women's basketball multiple times in recent years, the MSU men had a breakthrough by outlasting UM 72-67 in an impossibly physical game in the nightcap. Raekwon Battle scored 19 points, including hitting the game-sealing free throws as MSU earned the season sweep over the Grizz for the first time since 2010. The four record for the Bobcats against the Grizz marked the first clean sweep in hoops for Montana State since 1999. Couple that success with MSU's 55-21 win over Montana in football, and the weekend became historic. For full analysis of the rivalry action, tune in to Nuanez Now at 4 p.m. right here on 1029 ESPN Radio. Got a little Lou Reed to get hour number two started off. Welcome back. Nuan is now ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. Thanks for hanging out with us to start your week. One of my favorite weeks of the year here uh, in Missoula. The Big Sky Documentary Film Festival returns for a 20th year. That's amazing. Nick Davis, one of the main men over there sitting in studio with us uh, on the other side of the camera. But on the camera, got a couple fine gentlemen from the Big Apple, the state of New York, the the city of New York, right? Is that do I have this right, guys? Yeah, yeah, from Brooklyn. Uh, very cool. So, welcome to town. Thanks so much for being here. Sean Paulson, Brad Wickham are here. They are directors and producers uh, of the short film Shadow of a Dog, which is uh, going to be one of the, the top shorts mini docs here at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. It premiered. Earlier uh, this weekend on Saturday, and you can find another showing of it tomorrow at uh, at 3 p.m. at the Missoula Children's Theater. So um, fun week always. You can always just go visit the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival website. I uh, I pulled out my pamphlet and my pass last night after we got back from Bozeman. Made my whole schedule for the week. I gotta say, they gotta start scheduling movies that aren't when I'm on the radio. I, I would be going about 10 times more. But I, if you see me out and around, uh, please say... Hello, but this is always one of our favorite uh, times of year, and you can also find all these DocFest interviews uh, on our Big Sky Documentary uh, Film Festival podcast uh, channel. So go check that out on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. So uh, we'll start for, with both of you guys. Have you guys ever been to Montana? 
This is my first time Very uh, good. in Montana. Yeah, I actually was here a year and a half ago for a, uh, a documentary film shoot. Um, I was here in the summer, so I'm getting the winter experience. Uh, but yeah, I love it. It's beautiful here. Well, let, let's start with just the concept of this movie. Uh, it's only two sentences, what I get on, on the summary, because I think that's what th- this is all about when you're talking about these mini docs. It's... It's journalism conciseness at its finest. You guys maybe should have been newspaper men, right? Yeah. This interview might actually last longer than this movie, but that's what makes it so great, right? So uh, for, for both of you, just take people through just what this movie is about, what you're trying to get from it and out of it. Yeah, so so the idea of the movie came when um, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this black and white uh, video that was taken on a trail camera. like a It looks like a surveillance camera. And this guy in New York had snuck into this construction site and um, set up a a dog trap and um, set up these cameras in the middle of the night. And then you see this video and this little uh, dog crawls out of the darkness and right in the cage and he gets it and he rescues this dog, this guy, Jim Tierney. And Brad and I, we saw this. We were just like, this is incredible in New York City that somebody's in the middle of the night, setting up these traps, and then by the time the sun comes up, he's gone. We got to, like, go spend some time with this dude and see what he's doing, you know? Uh, so, I, I don't want to spoil this, but uh, where does it go from there? And, and how do you go about just the challenge, Brad, of making a documentary about something uh, that's probably so... resonates in such a wide range, but also he uh, has such a short amount of time to do it? Yeah, I mean, wh- from the beginning, one of the one of the best things about this concept was like, you know, it's such a simple story. It's like a man looking for a dog, a lost dog, and I think that was what allowed us to really simplify the edit, simplify. I mean, the hardest part was actually just finding the dog. Like that was that was that took a while, but yeah, it was rough. Um, but yeah, so I think like from that standpoint, you know, we don't have a sit down interview. We don't have much dialogue. It's just you know, 10 minutes of this guy doing a lot of trespassing and, you know, spending nights in a cemetery waiting for uh, this dog to show up. Right. So that, that's what happened with this case. Um, that's the subject of our movie. It was a dog that had gone missing and, and was spotted in the cemetery, one of the uh, biggest cemeteries in, in Brooklyn. And, um, and that's, that's the focus of the film. The film is Shadow of a Dog. You can see it, uh, a rescreen of it at the Missoula Children's Theater, 3 p.m. Uh, tomorrow. That's Tuesday afternoon, February 21st. We got Sean Paulson, Brad Wickham in studio with us, directors and producers of this film. Uh, I'm assuming you guys have made other docs, other films in the past. So, I mean, how did this one compare to the projects you've worked on before? Well, we, we met, like, working professionally on, uh, like, more studio shoots, like commercial editorial stuff. And so... Completely different. We're out in the rain in, you know, it was like we filmed probably about a year ago. Um, So freezing cold, spending the night outside. Uh, Yeah, a lot more difficult filming conditions than we're used to, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, right. just like Brad said, we we both freelance together, but we work a lot on shoots um, for for like GQ or these like more uh, glamorous shoots where like, you know, we'll have talent come in and we'll shoot these. Uh, like, like YouTube stuff. content yeah. videos that are really cool. Check them out. <laughs> but then at night, after we'd wrap it around six, we'd be like, "All right, we got to go to the cemetery." So we were having crazy long days, um, 
yeah, it got pretty. It got pretty in- intense, you know. So when you go to the cemetery in the middle of the night in one of the biggest cities in the world, how, what's what's going through your mind? I mean, how do you keep yourself safe at that exact moment? Yeah, um, obviously there's a level of, I guess, just awareness. But yeah, it was pretty scary. You know, sometimes it would just be like a raccoon in a tree. Sure. Be like, and I think the other thing too is that we really, um, we just didn't want for. For Jim Tierney and his process, we certainly didn't want to, you know, anyone to come and say like, "Hey, what are you, what are you guys doing here?" Because it's really the getting the dog back was the most important thing. Sure. You know, our our project is a great side thing of that, but um, yeah. So I think just sort of crossing our fingers was really our our technique of you know staying. What, uh, relax. Was there detective work that had to be done to, to like, I mean, how, for example, how did you find the main character? Like, how did you know this guy's not just like out stealing people's dogs? How do you know he's doing like good work? Well, he's got he's yeah. got a track record. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so this guy had a reputation. Like, you were able yeah. to ask he's like he's like okay. he's like the guy. If your animal goes missing in New York City, you call him. Jim Tierney, like reach out to him. He'll even go to New Jersey, probably Connecticut too. You know, he, yeah, he's, he just yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he really loves. These these animals. He's a pro. He loves and, the process and too. the process yeah. too. And that's yeah, that's really we just show that process. It's like ten minutes of of that process. He's like the Batman of Gotham City, but yeah. he's just rescuing dogs in the dark. That, right? That's exact. That's a that's a better logline than uh, than what we came up with. Does, yeah, does, like does he does he charge people money for this, or is this just out of the goodness of his heart? Well, it's sort of like a little bit of A oh, and B. Both, yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know, he, there's a lot of expenses. The last night, I think he spent $60 on uh, cheeseburgers to put in the cage. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's very clear the reason why he's out there, and it's definitely not about the money at all. It's about um, some of these dogs that go missing, for people that aren't trained on tracking, you know, it gets very emotionally, they're very emotionally raw. Maybe they've lost their pet. Mm. And um, it's hard for them to go through the process of of tracking or putting a postering or, you know, all that different stuff. So, you know, that's where Jim really comes in and shines. And, yeah. Sean Paulson, Brad Wickham in studio with us here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Go check out their film, Shadow of a Dog. Down there at the Missoula Children's Theater tomorrow at 3 p.m. It's the first of the uh, the competition of short blocks, so this is where you're going to see all the best mini documentaries in this film festival. And if you win either best short or best mini doc here at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, you're automatically into Oscar consideration. So this is a a uh, cool thing for these guys. On that note, on a personal note, what do you guys think of just the kind of the opportunity of this having a film in this film festival and uh, just kind of the opportunity to, to have it widely seen by a, a group of people? It's been great. I mean, this is a great festival. This was kind of always on our list of um, fests that we wanted to get into. Um, we've, you know, in New York, have had tons of friends who have gotten into the past, you know, past Big Sky festivals. So heard nothing but good things. So when we got in, we were just like immediately super excited. And we're like, we're gonna go for the whole week and you know make it a make it a whole thing. So we're we're really excited. So are you nervous about people? I mean, they've they've already had one screening. What, what was it like just watching people watch your movie? Yeah, it's it's interesting with like a live an audience, right. um, and also you know when we're doing the edit, you spend so many hours looking at a thing. You start your relationship to it changes, um, but just being with the audience and watching it and s- seeing how 
you know, either Jim comes across or these different moments, um, if the crowd, you know, cheered or, or felt, you could feel it in the room. So that was, that was just really great. Yeah. Well, for both of you guys, what was the most challenging part about making this film? Um, I think, I mean, well, finding the, waiting, like getting this dog to actually get in the trap and like, you know, finding it was, was yeah, from a filmmaking standpoint, I think. It'd be a very tragic ending, I guess, if you didn't right, find well, the dog, yeah, yeah. right? The, well, we probably, the movie probably wouldn't be, be we're not here. giving away any answers yet. You'll have to come see it, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. Right. But, um, yeah, from a filmmaking standpoint, I think. I I think it was just the brutal schedule of yeah. like these long nights, you know. It was all it was also in in March, which in New York can be really the weather can be really brutal. It goes from being cold, not that here in, in Montana you guys sure. are strangers to that, right? But um, and the hours, the long hours of of having to to follow him set up, and then you basically wait. Um, I think the primary uh, shooting for us ended. Basically, when a couple of, uh, Jim, I think Jim got COVID, another person got, <laughs> and it was just like, after, you know, after we kind of moved on to a different case, yeah. Yeah. everybody got, got sick and was just completely beat up by the end of this uh, process. Yeah. Well, very cool. Uh, once again, Shadow of a Dog. You can find it at the Missoula Children's Theater tomorrow at 3 p.m., and you can also stream these. Uh, you can go check out the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival website for uh, all the different variety of ways to watch these films, whether you're watching online, buying in person. Uh, tickets uh, or, or whatever way you want to watch these films, but go do it. You're going to find yourself entertained, educated, uh, all sorts of stuff. It's one of the best things that goes on here in uh, this city here in uh, in Western Montana. Last thing for you guys, any uh, greater meaning you want people to get out of this? Or what do you hope people take away from, from this movie? I, I think one of my favorite things about the film is at the end you kind of see this guy who is – very dedicated to what he does he gets a sense of satisfaction out of what he does i think we can all relate to that where it's like we have our passions and he's not in it for the money he's in it for the love of the animals and i I think our film does a really good job of sending that message yeah and saving dogs. I mean, who doesn't want their dog <laughs> yeah, right. to be saved, right? It's pretty sure. universally... Uh, uh, anybody who doesn't like this, you probably don't want to be friends with those people, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think also, um, there's also, uh, watching this person's process, there's a pragmatic approach if your dog does run away. You can kind of, uh, you know, check that stuff out. Very good. Seth Pulse, Sean Pulse, excuse me, Brad Wickham here in studio. Go check it out. Shadow of a Dog, no matter which way you watch it. Uh, you can visit the BigSkyFilmFest.org website and uh, find this and all the other great films. Good luck, guys. This is cool having you around, and enjoy your time in Missoula. Yeah, nice. thanks so much, and thanks to everyone at the fest, Rachel, yeah. Doug, Nick. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really top-notch. Yeah. Come and check it out. And thanks for having us on. Of course, yes. Very nice to meet you guys. BigSkyFilmFest.org. Go check them out uh, online. This and a variety of other awesome films. And uh, if you see any of us out and about, say what's up. Uh, we'll be happy to talk to you. More fun stuff going on here in Western Montana. We got the crazy guys, the Galande Jumpers. The Galande Jump is up at Snowball this weekend. Steve Curtis, who's the MC of uh, the event, will join us. I don't know how the hell you convince yourself to fly 280 feet in the air on skis, but uh, guys are going to do it. Guys and gals are going to do it this weekend. We'll learn more about this great event coming up. Keep it right here. Go on is now ESPN Radio. 
for unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. This is Nuanas Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app coming to you through uh, the ESPN MT studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Thanks so much for hanging out with us uh, here on your Monday. We're joined in studio now by Steve Curtis. He's going to be the MC for the Galande Jump Ceremony uh, this upcoming weekend up there at Missoula, uh, or at Missoula Snowball. And uh, Steve, thanks for being here, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Coulter. Appreciate you. Uh, first and foremost, I, I grew up going to Snowball. And, you know, when, when you grow up going up there every weekend, you start to learn your acceptable level of risk. Because Snowball is not an easy place to ski. In fact, it's a really hard place to ski. I didn't learn that until I was in my 20s. I started going other places. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, like, really good. Because you're not skiing the crazy stuff up at Snowball. But I was always in, no matter if it was dropping into the the West uh, Ridge trees or jumping off the cliffs or whatever it might be. The one thing I could never even convince myself to even think about doing, and the one thing I was always just mystified by, was these Galande jumpers. So just tell people a little about the history. I mean, you've been doing this up there for a little while. This competition, it's iconic in Missoula for sure, but just take people through the nuts and bolts of what actually is the Galande jump. Yeah, so the Galande jump is... uh it's a natural jump uh, up there at Montana Snowball. It's unlike any other because it goes right to left. There's a dog leg at the top of it. You, it's a blind jump. You can't see anything coming off of that thing until you're about 80 feet in the air when the whole world drops out from underneath you. <laughs> and you're looking at the bar deck there at Montana Snowball, and uh, there's a pond to your left, a bunch of rugby women that are marking your distance to your left, and uh, and, and a lift. It's, uh, it's, it's unique, and you're doing, you know, you're doing... 60 off of that thing and then of course you got to think about your landing and compression um it is uh nerve-wracking to say the least and we've got guys from all over the country that come for this will be our 49th year up there so we're looking forward to a big 50 next year the actual launch how big is the actual jump so the jump is about a 40 meter galande jump which is somewhere in the middle uh as far as the size of jumps go it's uh it's just so unique because it's cut into a side of a rock and there isn't much room for error like i said there's a turn that you need to navigate doing about 50 55 miles an hour and uh yeah it's it's unique it's unlike any other jump in the nation the the galande circuit's been strong since the 70s uh we're now one of the few jumps left there's a big one down there at steamboat springs they did last weekend so we'll have a bunch of those guys that just uh finished that championship down there and they'll come up and join us for the Snowball Cup there at Montana Snowball. We'll be giving away about nine grand to those pros this weekend, so it should be a really good time. Steve Curtis in studio with us. He will be emceeing the Great Galande Jump event up there at Montana Snowball this upcoming uh, weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. 
What is maybe the difference between this and, and like the traditional ski jumping people would watch in the Olympics? You're right. So the thing you see in the Olympics is aided by all sorts of things. The suit is meant to fly. Uh, in this case, for the Galande, they just wear a downhill suit that you would see in the actual downhill sure. events. And they actually ski on those same downhill skis. So there's poles, uh, your, your bindings clipped in. And the skis are about 223s, 217s, 223s, that sort of size. Where what you see in the Olympics, those guys are on giant skis, double size, that are meant to actually catch the air. So the difference here is they don't really lend themselves to uh, flying. You have to make it happen. And so the gumption is how high and how much amplitude are you going to push off the end of that jump doing 60 miles an hour <laughs> blind. So, What else are maybe the things that draw people? I mean, Snowball itself has to be a draw, right? Because it is just such a unique place. Oh, I tell you what, if you haven't been up there and you've, you've listened to rumors, Mel, about, you know, you're, you're one of these Missoulians that hasn't had a chance to get up there. Get up there now, man. Things are changing all the time in the ski industry, and we're lucky to have something that's so unique as especially in that industry. And uh, I would encourage anybody and everybody to come up and check this uh, legendary event out and check out this legendary mountain because it's, uh, I mean, mind you, we got a new lift up the front there. So the NAR factor and the actual skiing uh, end of it is uh, we doubled, uh, yeah, that, that sheer vertical. Oh, I mean, Montana Stobel has been known for the sheer vertical for, forever and ever. I mean, for a long time, it was ranked as one of the, the top – vertical feet descents you can possibly make in the world of skiing, right? And I, it's still there. And I mean, if you want to go ski the bulls, I really don't know if there's anything better than a powder day and, and just hitting West Bowl and then East Bowl and going and seeing you there in the bar and having a pizza and a beer. I mean, right that's on. about as good of a Montana day as you can have. I appreciate that. And, and that's exactly how I feel. That's why I've been sitting up there for the last 30 years. I could have gone... And skied anywhere in this world. I'm lucky to be in Missoula, Montana, and kicking it up there at Montana Snowball for sure. Well, this uh, Montana Galande competition, um, probably some some familiar faces, people that have done it before. Is there any sort of uh, gauge you can give us just on the, the field of competitors? Yeah, absolutely. It'll, it'll starting to range a little different. We got a few young young blood, uh, real studs coming through. Uh, for years and years, we've had guys that have won it ten times. Uh, Leaping Lloyd, he, he'll be there. He's he's got to be in his mid-60s now. He's a local legend, and we'll see him this weekend. Uh, I've got guys that have won it 11 times, Rolf Wilson, uh, and we'll, we're expecting a couple of big leapers. Uh, hopefully, Marsh Gooding comes up. He won the uh, deal down there in Steamboat Springs, so we're looking forward to seeing him, and Eric Wilson's the Hill record holder. He should be showing up as well, so it's going to be a diverse field. We, we're looking forward to some big, big leaps this weekend. For, to put this in perspective for people, these guys are hitting a jump, and they're flying, I mean, 150, 200 feet, right? Right, yeah. So, like, uh, just to clear the actual null, the, the, the jump itself is actually behind the null, so which is what makes it so blind. Uh, you need about 80 feet to clear that null, and uh, so then we can start counting from 100 down. Uh, the hill record is 206. There's several guys that share in that. Um, the issue with that is that uh, once you get up into that stratosphere, get, coming down is of the essence because the compression's real. Like, 
you're starting to run out of landing hill. Totally. And man, when you see those guys up there, you start counting in seconds, uh, like, oh man, he's up there too tall. And you see them shut down once in a while. There's a couple guys that are capable of out jumping this hill if they really wanted to. Of course, it's way too dangerous. So that adds another little sprinkling of, uh, of excitement. You see a guy that maybe went too big trying to shut it down is really something in itself. <laughs> I mean, you got to go big to get over the noble that he can't go too big because you don't want to out jump the yeah, hill. Yeah, that's it. You want an action sport? I, I think we found one for you. The Galande Jumping Competition up there uh, at Montana Snowball this weekend. Steve Curtis joining us in studio. He's the MC of the event. Back now, almost 50 years. I'd be great when you guys get to that 50 year, but I mean, still, 49 years is a great run. This is so psyched, so psyched to get it in. And and like I say, I think we're going to build the steam this this year and shoot for something massive for 50 and really celebrate this uh, great Missoula tradition. Well, anything else we need to tell people about this? So uh, we'll be jumping at uh, about one o'clock on Saturday um, and seating them for the pro division for a Calcutta that I hold in the bar. We'll we'll uh, sell off the jumpers and you can do a little gambling and make a little money for the Missoula Galande Club. That'll be all all, all day Saturday. Uh, and then Sunday, I would say at about 12.30, 1 o'clock, we'll kick it off and we're going to go three rounds for the pros, two jumps around, and we're going to try and give away 9000 bucks and change and uh, and give somebody that Snowball Galande Cup, which is a thing in itself. you got to check that out if you come on up. Very cool. Have you ever hit this jump? I have, and uh, that's why I'm an announcer <laughs> and not a competitor. It's, uh, it's uh, something that's stuck in my memory for sure. Yeah, man, it's it's a real deal. Saturday and Sunday up there at Snowball uh, here just north of Missoula. Steve Curtis in studio with us. Go check it out if you want to see a fun and such a quintessential Missoula event. Uh, always one of my favorites. And uh, I'll be sad. I'm going out of town this weekend, so I'll totally be there, man. But I'll uh, I'll come see you soon before skiing season's over. It's good to see you, Coulter. Yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. We shall continue our hoops coverage right after this. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. ESPN Radio. Been watching a lot more TV lately. Well, actually, I shouldn't even say that. I've been watching things on television that aren't sports lately. <laughs> That's a first for yours truly. But I did watch the uh, Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix. I could do a whole bit on uh, why I thought it was really good, why I thought it was. Uh, interesting, relevant, all of the above. But it got me thinking about Motley Crue, because obviously she was married to Tommy Lee. Infamously, I guess I should say, married to Tommy Lee, uh, who was the drummer of Motley Crue. So I said Motley Crue stuck in my head. I don't know. Motley Crue's underrated. If they didn't wear a bunch of makeup, I think you'd think of them differently. Well, it's now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks so much for... Uh, hanging out with us uh, here on your Monday. Fun collection of guests here so far in the second hour. Appreciate uh, 
Sean and Brad. Shadow of a Dog is the film. Uh, Sean Paulson, Brad Wickham, the uh, directors and producers of Shadow of a Dog. A mysterious New Yorker tracks down lost pets for a living. When a dog goes missing in a Brooklyn cemetery, he gets to work. That short, you can find it at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, 3 p.m. tomorrow at Missoula Children's Theater. Uh, it is up. It is part of the uh, competition of short blocks. And the winner of the best short and the winner of the best mini doc here at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival will be automatically in Oscar consideration. So that was a fun interview for you. We also heard from Steve Curtis. He's the MC of the uh, Galande Jump Competition up at Missoula Snowball, a quintessentially Missoula uh, occurrence. Uh, each and every winter, and uh, always one of my favorite deals when I was a kid growing up. And uh, glad they're still rocking. Almost 50 years they've been doing the Glade Jump, and fun talking and catching up with uh, with Steve. I want to talk a little bit more about the the rivalry games from over the weekend. I I think that there's broad analysis and um, specific. Minute analysis you could do uh, of these games. But the omnipresent feeling leaving Bozeman was that in my 17 years covering the Big Sky Conference, I never really expected Montana State to fully and thoroughly overtake Montana in the realm of athletics. And I know it's one year right now in which the it's, it's been a couple years of pretty widespread domination for Montana State. But this last weekend marks the first time ever that the Bobcats won the rivalry matchups across the board, twice in women's basketball, twice in men's basketball, and, and then on the football field as well. So in terms of the, the main sports that you guys are using for your Cat Grizz Arguments over Thanksgiving and Christmas with your families and your houses divided or whatever. Those three sports, this is the first time ever Montana State has swept Montana. That's stunning. But then you think about the whys, and it makes a lot of sense because of a lot of things we already talked about in the first hour of the show. The upward momentum of Montana State as a university. The upward momentum of Bozeman as a, as a community. The uh, great leadership of President Wadad Cruzado and Athletic Director Leon Costello. Those have been impactful parts of Montana State's rise. There's also been all sorts of other impactful parts, from the rise of the priority on STEM education for uh, kids of a high school into college age. That's impacted this state a bunch. I mean, University of Montana was touted as one of the premier liberal arts schools in the country forever. It still is. Way less kids want to go to school for liberal arts. There's a lot I could say about that. I don't think that's something that's good for society and culture. When the when the people who really enjoy reading books and engaging in discourse and teaching your kids how to read and write books, when those people are marginalized and uh, reduced because you can't make a living doing that, that's a bad thing for the diversity of our culture as a society. It's not good to not have intellectuals and people that like to engage in the humanities. You can say, oh, people that go get an English degree are stupid because you're going to get into a whole bunch of debt and you're not going to be able to make any money. If you don't have those people, you you lose a part of the richness of the fabric of what makes up a community. I, I don't want to go 
I don't want to go down this road anymore, really, because it's just, it's one that I'm, I'm endlessly frustrated by. All I'm saying, though, is from a pure athletic department standpoint, Montana State's rolling right now, and it's fun to go and and take it all in. Not just the, the success of the sports teams, but just sort of the omnipresent buzz of positivity that's existing right now across their athletic department. Uh, the, the incremental and vast both improvements that they've made the joy that a lot of their athletes are are competing with, but even things like the Spirit Squad and the Spirit of the West Marching Band, it, the, the buzz is palpable. It reminds me, more than anything, of when I was a student at the University of Montana. It reminds me of so many of the little things that the Grizz used to have that led to big things. How's Montana get it back? I think it's as simple as leadership, engagement, recognizing your advantages, and accentuating your advantages. I don't think Montana is that far away. But I do want to talk about this this men's game just in terms of what we learned from it. I was very frustrated leaving the arena by just how sloppy and sluggish the game was because of the way the, the game was officiated. As I've already screamed and yelled about plenty on this show, it's just too bad that the officiating crew decided to call the game like that. I'm not saying that either side had an advantage. In fact, I don't think either side did have an advantage. I thought the Grizz committed more fouls than the Cats. That's why the Cats shot more free throws. I think it's as simple as that. But I just thought it was unfortunate for the crowd on hand that we had to watch a whistle fest instead of watching uh, a free-flowing, fun, competitive, uh, physical game. And I think a lot of that falls on... And again, I don't think this is the fault of even... Like, I see a lot of people on Twitter saying... A typical Big Sky officiating. When is the Big Sky going to get better officials? This is actually way broader than that. I don't think that the Big Sky or Montana or Montana State or Travis DeCure or Danny Sprinkle or any of the players that played in the game on Saturday are at fault here. The problem here is that men's college basketball is not a good product. It has declined in the quality of the product exponentially for the last 30 years. There's a lot of reasons for that. How many schools have invested in basketball? How many schools have good coaches in basketball? The uh, decline in, a, in the uh, willingness to go into officiating. But more than anything, you used to get to know college basketball players at their respective institutions because guys would stay for two or three or four. They, should, they would stay for three, four, or five years. I mean, even Michael Jordan played three years at, at North Carolina for Dean Smith. Most guys getting drafted in the NBA had been at their schools for four or five years. So early entries, one and dones. High school kids going straight to the draft for the era that that was allowed. All of it has incrementally contributed to the decline, in my opinion, of college men's college basketball. I love basketball. You were let me to pick what level of basketball I would like to watch. I am selecting the NBA and all other pro leagues first and foremost. Then I'm selecting Division I women's college basketball. Then I'm selecting every single level of high school basketball before I'm choosing men's college basketball. There's only one level of basketball that doesn't play quarters, that plays halves. It's NCAA men's college basketball. That's it. I guess NAIA too. But college men's hoops is the only form of basketball that doesn't play quarters. Well, why does that matter? It matters so much because it smooths out the rotations. It smooths out the fouling situation because the bonus gets reset 
every 10 minutes instead of every 20 minutes. I also think that the, the size of the athletes in Division I men's college basketball has continued to increase. The athleticism is, is really good, and the court doesn't fit the men that are playing on it. They need to move to an NBA-sized court. The NBA, the lane is wider in the NBA. The three-point line is farther out. It just makes for a less congested game. And so it's just it's frustrating to me uh, the way that the product has declined. So when I'm sitting here bemoaning my, my an experience that didn't live up to what I hoped it would on Saturday night in terms of pure viewer, viewership and being able to feel the energy within the arena, I, again, am not blaming the Big Sky Conference or Montana or Montana State or anybody at Brick Breed and Fieldhouse, none of the coaches or players, it's the product that's having a big issue. Anything to add to that element, Andrew, before we talk about just sort of the, the broad uh, strokes that we can convey or at least uh, take from the results on Saturday? Yeah, I think you're onto something, Coulter, because this isn't the first time that we've had, I think it was really visible right. on Saturday, but the games last year were the exact same. It was, That's right. It was, the, the refereeing was a talking point after all those games for the exact same reason, right? Uh, it's just the, you're deciding to call all the the hand fighting and the jostling in the post as a foul. Yep. And in a game like this, especially with two teams, I mean, Montana State with Jabril Bello, Montana likes to go inside to Josh Bannon still. Yep. There's always going to be a battle in the post as, as these players try to establish position or deny position on every given possession. And if you're calling that contact as a foul, then, yeah, you're going to give it every time. Who I would say that two of the best post players in the last 10 years – in the Big Sky Conference, are Martin Bruining, who played at Montana, and Joel Ball and Boy, who played at Weber State. Those two guys were the most, quote-unquote, pro-centers that I've covered during our time at Skyline Sports. And they had awesome battles. And those two guys led their teams to the Big Sky Conference tournament championship game when they were seniors. There was two free throws shot in that whole game with the two best professional-level centers we've ever seen. The only thing the Grizz did on that team was throw the ball to Martin Broiding and then work off of him in their offense. The only things that Weber State did was either ISO Jeremy Singlin or try to get Joel Ball and Boy open. It's not a coincidence that there was no... What I'm saying is intense games are going to cater, lend themselves to a high level of physical contact. And like you're saying, if everything is getting called, it's silly. I just think it's silly that... Uh, maybe it's, I guess, what do you think is the reason why? Do you think the atmosphere in these rivalry games, both from the passion that the players have instilled in them, but also the fact that there's 7,000 partisan fans on hand influences it, as opposed to, like, that Big Sky title game probably had 1,000 people at it instead of 7,000, and it's not, you know, for all the marbles because it's not Cat Grizz. Is this just another byproduct of people making too much of, of a single game within the rivalry? Absolutely it is, Coulter, and it is because... The refs are thinking to themselves, they come in, they see the arena, they hear the fans as much as we do on the sidelines, as much as the players do. They're thinking, we don't want to let this game get out of hand. We don't want this to become too physical and then have to call a foul in an important place and make this the story of the game. And in doing so, ironically, they do make it the story of the game because... They want to keep a lid on things. They don't want to encourage physical play in an environment where there are 7,000 screaming fans. 
Uh, and so they err on the side of uh, calling a lot of things because, you know, it's like, uh, not that I have any experience with this, but I assume this is what parenting is like. If you let them get away with one thing, they're going to start trying to get away with, with everything. Uh, and the refs have that in the back of their minds as they're going into the game. That's my take on it. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. If you missed anything in today's show, you can find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by the M Store and the MSU Bookstore. Tomorrow, fun show coming up. We'll hear from Israel Moreno. He is a state champion wrestler from Missoula Big Sky, the only guy from the Garden City to take home a double-A state championship. We'll also hear from Jeff Hayes. He's the head coach of the Missoula Hellgate Boys basketball team. Carol on the Chicken Doesn't Know Sports will swing by to hang out with us. And we're also going to hear from Duncan Hamilton. You might have heard of him. I think he's pretty impressive. <laughs> Dude in his last home indoor meet ever sprints his way to the fastest indoor mile in Montana State history, shattering an iconic record by an iconic Bobcat runner. We'll fill you in more tomorrow. That's uh, all on the show tomorrow. But I want to spend the last five minutes of this year's show talking about what we actually gleaned from the, the results of this. I think, Andrew, on the women's side, the Lady Grizz have a lot of fight, and I think the fact that they have uh, empowered some of their younger players gives them uh, an interesting ability going into the Big Sky Tournament. I also think that Saturday's result for Montana State, considering that they got the best versions of Darian White and Cola Bad Bear, is scary for the rest of the league. I thought we saw a Lady Grizz team that if they continue to take the same form, has an opportunity to go to Boise and, and do some damage. But I also thought that we saw the defending champs in championship form on Saturday. And if they can maintain that form, Montana State's women absolutely going to be the undisputed favorites going into the Big Sky Tournament in Boise in two weeks. Yeah, it's an intangible thing, Coulter. It's not something you can uh, point to the stats and say or even point to, to a highlight or some some tape and say, uh, you see. But I just think the biggest thing with that Montana State women's team is they've got girls who have been there before, and uh, Trisha Binford and, and Darian and Cole Badbear addressed this in the postgame as well. It just makes things uh, so much easier, so much less dramatic when you have girls who have been there before. And I think that's why, you know, on paper, this team has has some issues on paper. I don't think this team is hugely above a team like Northern Arizona or, or the Lady Grizz uh, or Sac State on talent. Right. But just the way they've been able to handle their business this entire season. And, and of course, uh, you don't know until you see it in the conference tournament. But this is just another data point towards... They should be confident going into it. They should be the favorite going into it because they have that experience. If you were to rank all the players in the Big Sky like Madden-style ratings, the Cats only have one 90-plus, and that's Derry White. She's a 98. Right. That's why that they're the favorite. But then they have eight girls that are in the 80s, and that's why they have uh, such a huge fighting chance. I actually think if you were to go uh, gal for gal down the Big Sky roster, there are some teams that are equal, if not superior, talent than Montana State, but Montana State has so many talented players. We'll get to that. Well, and, and what I'm saying is that those talent, that depth of talented players is given confidence by being able to play with Darian White and Cole right. Bad Bear, right? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, on the men's side, I am finally willing to relinquish. 
I still think the Cats have two more levels to get to. I mean, they won this game against the Grizz with Jabril Bello doing basically nothing because he had to sit on the bench with foul trouble. I, I still think if the Cats can get to their highest level, they're they're the favorites as well, even though Eastern Washington's going to go in with a pretty shiny-looking record. But I'm finally willing to relinquish. Montana's good. They're good. And, and they have an opportunity to be really good. If Josh Bannon plays like he did on Saturday and Anand Moody continues to be the, the veteran leader he is, Montana's good. And they have a, I, I think that they're one of the three teams that could go in there to Boise and, and maybe play for the championship or even win it. Yeah, I think you're shorting Weber State. I know you gave your reasons earlier yeah. on that, but I would make it a list of four teams there. Yeah, the interesting thing to watch now is Travis DeCure made the adjustment, right? Right. Putting Josh Bannon on the ball. It's been a couple weeks now. It looks good. It looks great when it's clicking. How do the other coaches in the league, and it really is a test of the coaching in the league, how do they adjust back? Because now they have a couple weeks of tape on it. They've had time to think about it. Well, how do we match up with Josh Bannon now? Who's guarding him? How do we deal with the shooting around him? Uh, it, it's it's a game of adjustments. It's a game of adaptations. Uh, we'll see if there are wrinkles uh, that make that less effective down the stretch and into the tournament. Here's the reason why it's going to be so hard for other teams to stop that. Is so unorthodox. It's so unorthodox, but also when Bannon plays off the ball, then that means Bannon has the opportunity to catch and shoot the ball. That's bad for the Grizz, given the shooters that they have. When Bannon has the ball... If he has a guy that can guard him, he's the best passer on the team. When he's got a guy that can't guard him, he's going to get to the rim and slap the glass every single play. That's what happened on Saturday. Yeah, and I we talked about it before the game. Jabril Bello shut him down, and, and Osborne shut him down on those drives in the first game. Yep. He was great on Saturday. We'll talk more about all of this uh, tomorrow. But a jam-packed show once again. You can find everything you missed today on the Nuanas Now podcast. We'll be back at it at 4 p.m. See you then. ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine DeLands of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, The Advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? Uh, it's all we practice. Uh, you're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in M- Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406-640-4444 or by visiting online 24-7 MontanaAdvocates.com.